0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report.
1: Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. An acreage battle for the books, as USDA gives us the first official taste of farmers' plants.
2: I think it's locked in. I think the acreage number on corn is probably closer than we really want it to be.
1: We have three veteran marketing analysts to break down the numbers and talk about where we go from here. Too dry to even plant as the drought tightens its grip, farmers in southeast Colorado are forced to make tough decisions.
3: Yeah, you can just tell how abusive this uh, winter's
4: been, you know.
1: The conservation buzzwords, but what do they really mean?
4: Because of the cost, we need to use less, but we need to get the same or more out of it.
5: And in John's world, got any glyphosate for sale?
1: Now for the news, USDA releasing one of its most anticipated reports of the year, the prospective plantings report. And at a time when farmers are seeing the impact of higher input costs, harder to find fertilizer, higher commodity prices, along with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, the first taste of farmers planting plans showed farmers are favoring soybeans this year and the news set corn prices higher. USDA's prospective planting survey found farmers plan to plant fewer corn acres this year at 89.5 million. That's a 4% reduction from 2021 and soybean acreage. Well, that looks to be up 4% at 91 million and even with wheat prices soaring lately, the all wheat acreage number coming in at 47.4 million acres. That's up just 1% from 2021. Cotton seeing the biggest increase with farmers intending to plant 1 million more acres with a total of 12.2 million. That would be a 9% spike from last year. Sorghum down more than a million acres this year. Well, breaking it down by state, the biggest uptick in soybean acres is expected to happen in Illinois and Missouri. Those two states alone accounting for a 400,000 acre increase. And in corn, the biggest acreage losses could come from the I states, as well as Kansas, Minnesota, Nebraska, North Dakota, and Wisconsin. South Dakota farmers say they intend to plant a record number of acres of corn this year. And I will have much more reaction on the numbers coming up in our marketing roundtables. Well, another herbicide tool, it's getting the green light. EPA approving the use of Enlist One and Enlist Duo in 134 additional counties this year. The agency says it conducted a thorough review of proposed label amendment by Corteva. The product can now be used in all counties of Arkansas, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. Texas also has new counties on the approved list. Just two months ago, EPA issued a seven year registration for the products with a provision restricting use where counties have federally threatened or endangered species. Well, the US Trade Representative says discussions with China have been extremely difficult and that it's time to turn the page on the old playbook. Catherine Tai testifying before Congress this week, telling lawmakers that talks last year with Beijing failed to produce
6: results. We can't just wait for China to change. Uh, We have right now um, tariffs on um, over $300 or $400 billion worth of Chinese imports. That has not incentivized China to change. And so what we need to do is continuing our efforts to um, uh, create pressure for China to change, We need to start doing things on our side, and that's the development of tools, that is the investments, that's the reshoring and the uh, rebuilding of our manufacturing base. Um, That is the plan that we need to pursue going forward.
1: Well, there's concern what this will mean for the supply chain crunch around the world as officials in Shanghai, China announcing rolling lockdowns in order to conduct coronavirus testing in the city of 26 million people residents are barred from leaving their homes. Shanghai has been the world's busiest port when it comes to container volumes since 2010. But Chinese state media says the port continues to operate. Other reports say trucking services in and out of the city are severely impacted and several warehouses are closed. All this coming as officials work to contain an outbreak of a highly transmissible Omicron variant. The restrictions are in place until Tuesday, April 5th. Well, here at home, many poultry producers are focused on keeping a deadly avian influenza out of their barns. Iowa ag officials are reporting two more outbreaks in commercial flocks. It will require the killing of more than 1.5 million hens and turkeys. The chickens are at an egg-laying farm in Guthrie County, about 60 miles west of Des Moines. The other, a turkey farm in Hamilton County, about 65 miles north of Des Moines. USDA reports 17 states have had outbreaks in commercial or private outdoor flocks so far this year. Well, the nation's highest court says it will take up the legal challenges to California's Proposition 12. Prop 12 was approved by California voters in 2018. It took effect this past January and now it set new housing requirements for pork sold in the state. A state superior court recently delaying the effective date for 180 days after final regulations are issued. The National Pork Producers Council and American Farm Bureau petition the Supreme Court to look into it. The case is expected to be argued after the court begins its new term in October. That's it for the news. Well, a late season blizzard hit parts of the country this week and moisture is still missing from the West. We'll have a check of weather next.
0: Closed captioning on US Farm Report is brought to you by BASF. Helping you do the biggest job on earth.
1: Time now for a check of weather with Matt Urasavik. Matt, many of our viewers are ready to say goodbye to winter, but it seems winter isn't ready to say goodbye. (laughs) That moisture, though, really still missing from dry parts of the west and the plains, Matt.
7: Yeah, Tyne, that's right. Chilly air and a lack of moisture there in the west. It's always been the case really over the past couple of months, but you can really see that again on our drought monitor. still abnormally dry in some parts of the east, which have seen rain over the past few days. But back in the west, even parts of Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, still seeing extreme to exceptional drought conditions. And we've even got a little bit of red there in the southern part of Louisiana. And if you look back towards the northern plains. Montana seeing some of that as well as the Cascades and even the San Joaquin Valley there in California so lots of drought conditions there in the west and if we take a look at our root zone it is much of the same very dry out in the west even through the dakotas down into parts of uh, nebraska even some central parts of iowa starting to show up a little on the yellow side and texas obviously in some of those drier colors meanwhile still a lot of moisture through especially parts of michigan wisconsin right on down through the ohio and mississippi river valleys into parts of tennessee and the East Coast also pretty dry as well. So something we'll continue to watch as we head into planting season. Now, heading through Monday, things are pretty calm, but by the second half of the week, Things become more active. We have kind of this big dip in the jet stream there, right through the middle of the country. That could bring in some cooler air on the north side, but also create some chances for some rain. All the way through from west to east across the country, as you can see, that big dip in the jet stream moving eastward by Friday. Turning in, though, to a nice big ridge in the West, that's going to keep things drier for the second half of the week out there in the West, but also bring in the warmth as well. So here's what it looks like on Monday. Again, not a ton going on, but a little bit of light rain moving through the center of the country, maybe a few thunderstorms getting moving by the second half of the day there in the Central Plains, Oklahoma, Texas, and then we've got a system out there in the West beginning to move onshore. That is going to bring more rain with it as we head through the second half of the week. So heading toward Wednesday, these systems move eastward. It starts to dry out in the west to bring back those mild temperatures and some of that sunshine. But out ahead of this, we've got more rain and even a few thunderstorms there, all the way from the Dakotas through the Great Lakes into the mid Atlantic states and even down towards the southeast and in parts of Florida. Could see a few of those thunderstorms by Wednesday as well. That storm system gets on out of here, brings in some chillier air behind it, and then high pressure takes over and it will turn warm, especially back in the southwest and the Four Corners region with a few more showers in the Pacific Northwest. So temperatures this week above normal there in the east and back in the west, especially in the second half of the week, but below normal where we're going to see a lot of that rain this week, Pacific Northwest and Mississippi River Valley, and then have precipitation this week in the east. Again, we're going to see a lot of that, but remain below normal there in the west. And temps in April looking above normal for much of the country and very dry, especially back there in the West. Tyne, back to you.
1: Well, the Acreage Report from USDA is out. So now what, are we focused on weather? Bill Biederman, Arlen Suderman, and Bob Utterback will break down the numbers and talk about where we go from here next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator, it's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential. Pre-order by April 30th with coupon code USFR for $2 shipping per wheel.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. This weekend, well, a big acreage report out from USDA, so we brought in three veteran analysts. We have Bill Biederman, Arlen Suderman, as well as Bob Utterback joining us now. All right, immediately when those that report came out, showing fewer corn acres, more soybean acres this year. Bill, well, Beans not responding favorably to that news.
8: Soybeans, uh, sharply lower on a number that was really knee buckling, both in the acreage number, <clears throat> way at the top end of, uh, of expectations, uh, and, uh, indicating that even with just a trend line yield, we could have close to maybe 500 million bushel carryover, but then the quarterly stocks number, when you look at what's on farm and what's, uh, in commercial storage, the numbers themselves are staggering. Uh, however, I have to say that the, the trade was already expecting a 340 million bushel increase from last year. So when you put it into that perspective, the stocks number was really only 28 million bushel greater than what we thought. But, but the headline of it was very negative.
1: Yeah, Arlen, I mean, when you look at, at the acreage picture, the stocks number, what was the biggest shock, do you think, to the trade?
9: Well, I think I agree with is the soybean acreage number being larger than what was anticipated. I'm not as bearish as soybeans. I don't think we've fully accounted for the 35 million metric tons that have been lost from South America's crop this year. I think we needed to see an increase closer to at least 90 million acres. So we'll absorb some of this. It's just not as tight as what we thought. I think we're seeing a spreading between the markets right now, making the soybeans uh, look worse. But overall, the market is trying to shift some acreage to from soybeans to corn. And if the weather's good, that's what typically happens anyway.
1: Yeah, Mom, in a year like this, though, you know, do you think we will see a big shift in acreage after this report. I know this is planting intentions, but growers are having a hard time sourcing these inputs. Do you think that this may be kind of locked in at this
2: point? I think it's locked in. I think the acreage number on corn is probably closer than we we really want it to be. And if you look at Missouri cleared Ohio, guys are getting a little inchy. They always get, but I think we're going to start seeing the weather become a primary influence on the market as we come into April. And it looks like to me we're going to be a couple of weeks late and still not going to have big impact on yields as long as we don't go from cold and wet to hot and dry. But I think it could have a lot of impact on the basis behavior in that August, September time period if we don't have a lot of that early corn coming off the market.
1: Yeah, Bill, when you look at these acreage numbers, though, you know, wheat, even though we've seen wheat prices move significantly, it's not enticing farmers, at least it seems, to to plant more spring wheat this year.
8: Well, and that could be, uh, but up in the North Dakota area, where you know we have a lot of clientele, there's a lot of, a lot of different crops. There's barley, there's canola. Well, not the canola, but the uh, the spring wheat. There's a, a multiple of other types of uh, sunflowers that are going to go into the ground, and we're not going to see uh, a shift over to beans. And I don't think you're going to see as big a shift to the spring wheat is what uh, could make up for today's number. Today's number does indicate though that if we have a really good yield of 49.7, uh, which is about what we had uh, back in um, 2020, we could have a carryover that's about unchanged from where we're at right now, 650 to 680 million bushel. I don't think it's gonna change things. It's not gonna restore the stocks levels to what we had before when we were carrying a billion bushels a year. So there's, there's good reasons to find support on the weed, especially with the drought conditions we have from Montana down to the tip of Texas.
1: Well, Arlen, what do the markets now watch from here on out, you know, as we get into these prime spring planting months?
9: Well, I think very soon we're going to shift back to focusing on Ukraine and the impact that that, that we're seeing there, the geopolitical risk. Uh, We're also going to be watching how the weather forecast shifts, uh, shapes up for spring planting. We're pretty wet and cool in the eastern Midwest. Uh, Will we warm up and dry out there and shift the rains to the west where they need it, like some forecasters say? Or will we continue to perpetuate this uh, current cycle that we're in, like other forecasters say? The next month should tell us a lot about that.
1: Yeah. Bill, do you think it's possible we see planting delayed a little bit?
8: I mean, in order to uh, keep carryover above pipeline levels in corn, we're going to need 180 bushel yield. And that just gets us to the pipeline the way uh, we've established the numbers the last couple of years. You know, if we have a yield of 177, which is a record yield that we established last year, I'm showing carryover will be below a billion bushel. This is a problem, especially if we have a weather issue.
1: All right, we need to take a quick break, and then we'll have much more to talk about in our roundtables coming up this weekend on U.S. Farm Report. Well, there's no question that supply chain problems are weighing on farmers' minds. A recent Farm Journal survey of ag retailers shows chemistry is in the shortest supply, with 85 percent of retailers having trouble sourcing it. The second biggest issue right now is fungicide. That's followed by fertilizer and insecticide. And for John Phipps, there's one input that stands out the most for him right now.
5: One of the biggest supply chain stories for farmers this spring has been pesticides. Well, my experience is these situations are usually overblown early on, and are often just cover for whopping price hikes. The fact remains, you may not be able to just wander into your supplier whenever you want and get all the glyphosate you need. For example, that. Seems to be the biggest worry, but other herbicides are hard to get to as well. We're not experienced with shortages here in the U.S., so responses to this situation have been mixed and confused. Regardless of how this plays out in the next few months, there are some likely consequences. Weed control could be uneven this season, and for the most dependent per- pesticide users, possibly ugly. The old field cultivator won't look like such a useless antique and tillage of all kinds will be attempted on fields dedicated to no-till for years. To be sure, no-till has been fading, at least in my area, as resistant weeds forced weed control adaptation. For all its issues, weeds don't develop resistance to steel. This unfortunate supply disruption puts a spotlight on the forgotten and near total dependency less tillage places on chemicals. Should this year's battle against weeds go badly, all kinds of used tillage machines will rival tractor price jumps. Look for farmers to begin nailing down chemical supplies for 2023 now instead of trusting to assurances of availability. Like no-till... Another pesticide strategy will reveal a hidden flaw. Buying every year from the same local dealer may have been more expensive than shopping around and haggling over price, but being a dependable customer allows dealers to price and buy ahead with the assurance of sales to those reliable buyers. Business loyalty always carries a price, but it also can return large benefits in unusual situations like this. The strategy of shopping around sounds good in magazine pages, but sleeping at night this winter because our dealer had already locked in our needs should not be discounted. In return, dealers who auction off that loyalty for a one-time windfall can expect fewer and tougher transactions in the future. My guess is we'll find enough material to take care of this crop in some fashion, but the shock from this input season will change how we farm and do business for years.
1: Don't forget, you can send John your thoughts or even your comments at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, up next, to Machinery Repeat here's Tractor Tales this week.
10: The 2022 Bracket Busters Challenge presented by Case IH is underway. Who's still in the game? To find out, head to AgWeb now through April 4th to check the leaderboard.
2: Hey folks, welcome back to Tractor Tales. This week we're gonna hop over to North Central Illinois to check out a line of restored Olivers.
11: Well, most of them take about a month. Except the last two big tractors there, uh, Super 99, it was all heavy stuff and that probably took a month and a half. 1855 with a cab and was painted with a brush and all. I worked on that from January through May and it just about wore me out because it had all be done by hand.
10: Which one is your absolute favorite tractor?
11: Basically, it's still the first one, the Super 88. It's been the most trouble free and it's just been the handiest tractor. uh, Easy on and off and everything. The 1855 is awful nice and really like it, but to climb up on it all the time now, I'm getting a little too old to do climbing. So yeah, it's second best, we'll put it that way. Least favorite, probably that 77, It, it is, I worked on it a solid week, trying to find the bugs. Electrical problems, that one has caused me a lot of nightmares, basically. (laughs) This here is the complete super series. And that was the main goal uh, that we had with my neighbor before he died, was to get the super series. And that's what, basically, I worked on the hardest.
1: Well, it's been a couple of years since Prevent Plant was part of the big acreage debate, but Prevent Plant is looking to be reality for some farmers in the plains and west, as it may be too dry to even plant. We'll take you to Ground Zero next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition.
1: Well, there's no question the West is dry, but it's not until you visit the parched plains do you realize how dire the drought picture truly is. And as farmers try to get a game plan together for spring, some farmers are already faced with a tough decision to possibly not plant because it's just too dry. Brian Brooks will be the first to tell you.
3: Yeah, you can just tell how abusive this uh, winter's been.
1: Farming in this area of Colorado isn't for the faint of heart.
3: Well, we're down here in back County, this is the epicenter of the Dust Bowl.
1: A farmer in an area used to arid climate says this winter has been brutal.
3: The last big rain event we had was in August. Uh, There's a few guys that got weed up when they planted early, but uh, the dryness says took it.
1: 80% of the dryland wheat in this area may not make it this year, with some acres not even sprouting because it was too dry.
3: We've had four tenths of moisture this year so far. And a lot of it just came, you know, half a tenth here and just no large margin. We've had a lot of wind and it's just been very destructive on everything.
1: Brooks is one of many farmers facing a bleak picture in the Southern High Plains.
6: If you look at the November to February period, second driest on record behind only that 2017-18. So it's just another year that we've just experienced in a string of very difficult years going back to the mid-1990s.
1: This map shows the ranking of moisture with areas of the Texas High Plains and southeast Colorado seeing the driest November through February on record.
6: There's a five-state area, portions of five states, centered on the Oklahoma Panhandle, and obviously extending into New Mexico, Texas, southwestern Kansas, and southeastern Colorado that some people are terming the new Dust Bowl location. And that is because of the preponderance of the drought the wind and the temperature swings, blowing dust, wildfires that we've seen.
1: Wheat fields bear the scars of just how brutal Mother Nature can be.
6: If you look at Texas, currently more than 80% of the winter wheat crop is rated in very poor to poor condition. Conditions are only marginally better as you head northward through Oklahoma into Kansas and Colorado.
1: Brooke seems to be in ground
3: zero of the drought this year we even even had events, you know, after 50, 60 mile an hour winds, the road graders have to come out and push the sand off. It's drifting up kind of like what snow does,
1: and uh, I mean, it's a challenge this year. I mean, this is one of the driest years we've had since 11. And with only a trace of moisture since last fall, plans to plant this spring are growing dimmer by the day.
3: Praying for rain, and hopefully things turn around here and we can get our corn in, our Milo in. It's going to take quite a bit of moisture to get that done. Um, if not, we're going to be looking at... Uh, Follow prevent plant
1: irrigated acres could still see a crop in this area, but high input costs are just adding to the pain.
3: This input prices. This is crazy. You know, last year we were buying in for you know $420 a ton. I got a bid yesterday. It was 1350 a ton for in I mean, that's pushed our corn up another 24 bushel to break even price. I mean, that's that's huge.
1: Brooks says 70% of this part of Southeast Colorado probably won't get planted this year. It's just too dry and the outlook for moisture isn't promising at this point.
6: And the outlooks do not look good because we are facing the La Nina driven storm track that takes the storms to the north of this region. That leaves the area with just a lot of wind and only scattered rain showers or snow showers, not much in the way of precipitation.
1: Brooks tries to spread out his risk and raises cattle as well. So right now there's a shortage of feed in our area. But the drought is hitting from all sides this year.
3: It's costing a lot of money just to keep these cows going. You know, we don't have any winter wheat for graze for our yearlands, so almost all our yearlands are in the feedlot right now.
1: And with the price of corn elevated, the cattle side isn't penciling either. Well,
3: there's a large amount of cattle in this area has already had to be liquidated just due to the drought. You know, we don't have a lot of winter grazing. You know, coming in the spring, we've grown no grass.
1: And right now, the outlook points to more liquidation in the months ahead.
3: A lot of these producers are looking to liquidate. Uh, we do have the CRP program. We can come in and graze, but it's after the nesting period of July 15th. So uh, people are trying to survive to that point.
1: While feed prices are sticker shock on the cattle side, on the grain side, his local elevator is offering historic prices to grain farmers just to get any grain they can.
3: Right now, we have $10 wheat and we're all pumped, but we have no wheat. We've, we sold it out. You know, on my farm, I averaged 8.50 a bushel, which I've, that's a good price. You know, I made money at 8.50, um, but this $10 wheat, not being able to grow
1: it, it's, uh, it's disappointing. Disappointing as Brooks comes to grips with the reality of historic input and grain prices with a drought that seems to be doing everything it can to ensure this area doesn't see a crop at all this year.
3: You know, right now they're forecasting record profits for farmers. It's not going to happen at all. You know, if we need to raise two or three times the yields of normal, um, it's not going to happen with this drought.
1: Now Brad Rippey says much of the western U.S. is wrapping up the 8th year of drought in the last 11. So from the fight over water rights to just the fact that Mother Nature isn't lending farmers any favors, some producers in California are also weighing what crops will actually give their allocated water to and what crops will stay fallow this year. Well, when we come back, drought in South America is also adding to the soybean situation. For supplies, our marketing roundtables will break all of that down next.
0: The 2022
10: Bracket Busters Challenge, presented by Case IH is underway. Who's still in the game? To find out, head to AgWeb now through April 4th to check the leaderboard.
1: Joining us again, Bob Utterback, Arlen Suderman, Bill Biederman to talk markets. All right, we just heard from a southeastern Colorado producer, Bob, faced with very dry conditions in the eastern Corn Belt, however, Seems like moisture is, is more than plentiful at this point. Do you think weather impedes spring planting this year?
2: I think it's going to have impact in the central and eastern corn belt because we're already behind because of uh, early spring field work. But, you know, everybody can get crop out pretty fast. So I don't think the trade should get too far ahead of itself until we're probably about the second, third week of April. But one farmer told me, you know, if he can still plant corn the 10th of May and still have the same yield. But the big impact on him is – is if the drying cost goes up if we stay with these high fuel prices and he might switch some corn acres to beans just because he doesn't want to incur that high drying cost so i think the corn acres i don't think you can grow the corn acres from here with the weather forecast i see but i don't think you can drop them a little but there is a risk that corn acres will go down a little and bean acres go up and so that means guys that are hedged in the 22 i think you have tremendous risk exposure I don't think you need to be short futures, you got to be short to cash, long a call, or long a put. But you don't want to have a short futures unless you have an exit plan for margin call. And your focus should be on the 23 and 24 marketing season, which now are above $6. And those are some long-term, I think, some areas that you got to start focusing. How would you sell it if you get a summer weather scare event? So there's a lot of challenges in front of us, a lot of opportunities. But it's also going to be a challenging next three to four months, and it's going to test everybody's resolve to know what you want from the market, plan it, and then work the plan.
1: Arlen, you mentioned the South American drought earlier. When do you think the market fully comes to term with just how widespread that drought was and the, the impact that it has on overall production, and then the impact it has on the supply and, and demand balance sheet?
9: Yeah, we're already looking at very strong bids for the summer coming out of Brazil's uh, FOB ports. Uh, And uh, so we're anticipating that we're going to see strong export shipments out of the United States this summer. much stronger than normal that are going to tighten up our old crop supplies. And I think that's when the market will start to deal with it. USDA simply cut Chinese demand. um, And China certainly does have some negative hog margins right now that's discouraging consumption, but yet they're worried about getting enough supplies. They've been buying supplies, new crop sales are at record high levels. And also if you look at the premium and the deferred hog contracts on the Chinese market, they can lock in some profits right now. They can lock in some opportunities. So we're anticipating stronger demand as we get into the last half of this year, which should support that those soybean imports and even maybe some corn imports as well as they're worried about a tight corn supply globally and Ukraine is basically off the market. That leaves them coming to us.
1: Bill, are, are the soybean prices reflective of that right now though? Well, you know,
8: we're, we're, the the production cycle in South America is kind of wrapping up. So I think that that's becoming more of a known, but like what Arlen was saying, uh, the our production cycle coming up here is going to be a super unknown, especially with the weather risks. As far as the demand goes, you know, we started out the year with a very soft demand uh, curve. And now in the last whole month or so, we, two couple months, we've really picked up the pace. Like this last week we had, you know, 48 million bushels in sales. We only need about two and a half a week to meet the USDA projections. So uh, I agree with what Arlen is saying. And that is we could see uh, export numbers from the USDA WAS report increase over the next, as long as we can keep these exports strong over the next few weeks, that's a real likelihood, which could could reduce our carryover as
1: Well, risk may be on the feed user side. I mean, Bob, when you look at the hogs and pigs report this week, it shows that that hog herd continues to decline.
2: And I think that's everything I'm giving to the country. Uh, the fee prices are high, high prices are not going to motivate people to expand. Well, a few guys are. But overall, it's going to be hard pressed to, in the inventory and in the market numbers. Uh, the second year in a row, we're down. And I think the demand, there's demand rationing coming in. And as one hog producer told me, he says, I think the American consumer better get ready because we're going to be paying for pork what you've been paying for beef and that's all going to lead to some demand resistance but at this time if you're a hog producer and you're hedged I don't think you want to be short the board you want to have a limited risk exposure because this is a time over the next I think for the foreseeable future where your upside potential could be uh, pretty strong you want to keep a floor for in the market in case something happens on the downside a surprise but the risk really I think lie on the hog sector the upside and you want to control your feed cost as much as not controlling your selling price.
1: Yeah, Arlen, on both hogs and in cattle, when you look at the liquidation that we're seeing on the cattle side, looking at the hog herd continuing declining, do you think there is a lot of upside potential when it comes to those proteins?
9: Yeah, on the positive side, I think we probably hit the peak on placements, and we're going to start working lower as we go forward, particularly once we get past Labor Day because of the shrinking cow herd. Um, And uh, Bob said well on the hogs as well, the demand seems to be there. We're losing China as a buyer of pork, but we're seeing the consumer come in. But one of the concerns that we're seeing is with high inflation, the consumer may be cash rich because all the stimulus that's still in the economy, but still doesn't like paying the higher prices, so we're seeing a shift down in value, especially into beef right now, maybe fewer steaks and more hamburgers, um, so we are starting to see that shift in consumer buying.
1: All right, thank you all for joining us this week, and a big week in the market, so thank you so much for that insight. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Firestone Ag. Harvey Firestone invented the first pneumatic farm tire, forever changing what it means to farm hard. Visit firestoneag.com to learn more about this history and tire solutions for today.
1: Well, the buzzwords are everywhere. Sustainability, conservation, carbon footprint, and climate smart agriculture. But what does it mean in reality? Clint Griffiths recently spoke with Farm Journal Field agronomist Ken Ferry about what he calls the sustainability triangle.
10: Farming looks different in every corner of the
4: country, but being a good land steward comes with some consistency. What we call the sustainable triangle is kind of an overlapping of different environments. And of course, every farm has a natural environment, and that's going to be the climate, the weather. Um, we're Of course, you live is gonna be a big part of that, but the amount of rainfall you get, the snow, the frost, all that comes into the natural environment. The natural environment is one corner of the triangle. The physical environment is another. And the physical environment is where you're farming in each field, each zone within the field. Is it sand, is it clay, is it well-drained, is it irrigated, is it tiled? And then there's the human environment. Of course, that involves finance, As far as how much uh, revenue we need to generate from the farm, it talks about thinking about the equipment, the manpower uh, that you have, the ability, the skills. It also includes things
10: like government regulations and incentives to perform certain practices. Ultimately, all three areas work together and where they overlap is a farm's sustainable return on investment.
4: So you may have a plan made out on how you're going to put the year together and then we have a drought or we have a monsoon. You're going to have to make changes in your human portion of that to make sure that you can mitigate risks that are going to come with the weather in your particular um, field environments that are out there. This year,
10: for instance, challenges are coming from input costs as farmers seek to balance expenses with managing the physical environment.
4: Because of the cost, we need to use less but we need to get the same or more out of it. Those same efficiencies though, play well into nutrient reduction as as most of the nation's being called on trying to look at our nutrient reduction loss strategies. How do we reduce the amount of nutrients that get into our environment? Uh, And one of the ways is be as efficient as you can with the nutrients that you're working with out there. Utilizing things like the four
10: Rs, the right rate, right product, right time, and right placement can benefit the environment and the bottom line.
4: We can reduce some of our inputs, which will help us out financially by being more efficient with our timing and placement, but it's gonna add labor to the picture and it's gonna add machinery to the picture.
10: Things to consider when moving fall nitrogen applications to spring or even splitting up applications to improve efficiency and reduce the opportunity of nutrient loss.
4: Every time we break a nitrogen application, we pick up somewhere around 10% efficiency So if we break it up a series of times, we can reduce the amount of actual product that we put on out there to reduce our cost as far as the product goes and reduce our potential for pollution. But if a farm hasn't implemented things like no-till, strip-till or cover crops
10: before, it's important to get experience first.
4: My recommendation, as you look at the nutrient reduction loss strategy, I do believe, for instance, no-till, strip-till, and cover crops are gonna be part of it, meaning that they're gonna be a big part of it, probably. Whether you agree with it or not, you need to figure out what the ROI of those practices are on your operation. Ultimately, working to balance the cost of conservation
10: across the entire sustainable triangle.
1: Thanks, Clinton. All right, up next, customer support and John Phipps. He has some big news.
5: Big, big news in customer support this week.
1: Well, John Phipps is getting a new look. Well, kind of. He joins us now from his farm.
5: Gosh, the excitement around here is almost noticeable. After a mere two years, we have a new customer support desk that finally sort of matches Tyne's studio desk. It even incorporates the new U.S. Farm Report logo. Quality craftsmanship like this can't be hurried and neither can a retired farmer. But what may be of slightly more interest to you is the introduction of the 2022 USFR mug. It, too, has the new logo, and its two color compositions means you don't have to decide between red and white. You get them both. As thrilling as this is, I have one small problem. There are about 40 leftover red red mugs to be handed out, and there are no more all-white mugs. So for a limited time, here's the deal. First, send in a usable original question or comment or criticism on virtually any topic. It need not be used on the air, at least immediately, for you to get the free mug. But wait, there's more. Not only will you get one of the crummy old red ones, you will receive one of the new models as well. Two mugs for the price of none. There's even more good news. I want to get this old mug inventory cleaned out so your mugs will be sent immediately, not when your question is possibly used on the air, or at least as immediately as I can package and ship during the planting season. This deal is only good while supplies of the old mugs last. One final bit of good news, since I'm sure every viewer will want one of the new mugs, even those who have already received one are eligible, but let me stress you must send a question for the show that is slightly reasonable and original. Now name callers might accidentally slip to the bottom of the list, by the way, but otherwise any communication vaguely related to agriculture qualifies. You can even send several questions at once. Mugs will continue to be given to questioners only and they are not for sale. I'm not kidding, save your flattery and heart-wrenching pleading. Thank you for watching. Send those questions in to mailbag at usfarmreport.com and I'll announce when we finally run out of the old red ones.
1: Those mugs, highly coveted. Now remember, just email your question or thoughts to John and if he uses that, you can get one of those mugs. Just email those to mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, when we come back, a shortage of eggs for Easter from The Farm is Next. Well, we're just a few weeks away from Easter and already there are concerns about the egg supply and it's not just due to the hangover effects of the pandemic. A recent Cobank study shows avian influenza is hitting the poultry industry extremely hard. Cobank says the table egg layer flock itself was already shrinking. The record was 340 million in April of 2019. Today, that number is 322 million. And according to Cobank, one reason for the decline is the transition to cage-free and the complications that it's creating. But the biggest recent blow coming in the form of avian influenza. That's as the U.S. is seeing the worst outbreak in years, wiping out 11 million egg layers in just the past few weeks. Cobank warns that could create some trouble for finding eggs just ahead of Easter. And I know officials are saying keep an eye on your backyard flocks as well. Well, from all of us at U.S. Farm Report, I'm Tyne Morgan, thank you for watching. Be sure to join us again next week as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone.
0: Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Farm Report is produced and distributed by
1: Farm Journal Broadcast.